We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1 a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we got a little bit to break down, a little bit different. We're going to continue on with our positional breakdown series. We're going to do the entire secondary, which was honestly the position groups that were most exciting to me because there's a lot of young talent, there's a lot of new faces and players, not just this offseason, but from the last couple offseasons, and there's a lot of upside, I think, there. And also, to me, it's becoming arguably the most important position group on the defense. We can talk about that more later, but again, I'm in the camp of the new analytics, which say, given the fact that quarterbacks are getting rid of the football in under two and a half seconds, almost every offensive system, it's a lot more important to have good man coverage than it is to have a pass rush. But we'll dive into more of that. We're going to update you on some Giants developments because there finally has been some news on the Giants front in training camp, outside of training camp. I mean, whatever we want to call this start to training camp. We're in August. Normally, we would have had a few practices already. We've had none of that. We've had no coverage yet on any of that. So, But there's still been some news, so we're going to dive into all that. But before we do that, I wanted to give a little shout out to Nick. What's going on, man? How's life? Ah, life's life, Dan. You know, I'm just kind of chilling, waiting to hopefully see some practices and see how the NFL season materializes. Paying attention to the other sports, to be honest. The NHL just started up. The MLB is uh, 
on some shaky ground as of right now. We'll see what happens there. And then we have the NBA playoffs, which is uh, or about to ensue, but you have the last regular season games, and it's fun to just bet on them and watch them and kind of just enjoy sports because back in March, I had no idea when they were going to be back, so it's good that we actually have some here in August. Yeah, it is really good to have live sports back. I've got I got to be honest with you. Been pounding NBA games, MLB, I'm getting into that. I mean, as far as I can go, I mean, first of all, whew, my Mets, this is just one of the most disastrous starts and that says a lot, by the way. A disastrous start to a Mets season. If I'm saying this is one of the most disastrous starts I can remember, they just dropped the three and seven after today's loss. Some of these losses have just been devastating today. Jonas Cespedes just randomly didn't show up and then opted out of the season. It's a total disaster. But on a positive note, I may have drafted the single best fantasy baseball team of my entire life in my uh, big big friends league. Um, right now, I'm, it's a roto league. I have 87 points. I'm almost maxed out. Tens across the board is a 10 team league, and I have 87 points. 10 category, 10 team, 87, and I have 100 points. The next place is 81, but then after that, 57 points for third place. So, of course, the season's probably going to get canceled on Monday uh, with another outbreak with the St. Louis Cardinals. But you know what? I'm letting it ride for now, and I'm enjoying it. I got to ask you who's on this team? Do you have any Yankees? So, this was one hell of a draft. One hell of a draft. I got Shane Bieber for starters. That's unreal. Jacob DeGrom and Shane Bieber as my one-two pitcher. Shane Bieber's in the best pitcher in baseball. Then I landed Yu Darvish. Had a shaky first outing, then he was dominant. Kenta Maeda, been dominant across the board, both both outings. So those are my big four starters. And then after that, I still have Zach Gallen, who's been really, really good. And then in addition to that, I drafted Nick Castellanos, who just hit another two bombs today. He's basically been the best hitter in baseball so far, if you really look at it. And then in addition to Castellanos, I have tons of great talent across the board. This is literally the best I've ever drafted. Uh, I love when I have leagues like that. I had a baseball league like that a couple years ago, where I literally had almost every single player that won a major award it was literally one of the best teams i ever assembled got bounced in the first round yep so usually that's the thing usually we do the head-to-head with the playoffs because it's more fun this is roto for we went back to roto for the first time because of covid and you know what i'm liking it so far obviously because i'm doing well but I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan of roto to be i'm a big fan yeah. of roto in basketball as well yeah i mean i'll say this for fantasy football which we'll talk about at some point on our pod i'm a all i've been running a league for 13 years i've been commissioner of a really deep really competitive keeper auction league and we award and always have awarded 50 percent of the prize tool pool to points winners and we are strong believers oh, yeah. that points are the true winners we're not going to be that league that dumps all 100 percent of the pot into the playoffs because we know how luck-based week 14 through 16 is and then gives nothing to those guys who earned it during the regular season we're also not the league that's going to give all the money to whoever finished first in the standings because that's also luck-based based on the scheduling as well so we are big believers in points, and that kind of goes along with the Roto line. I do the same exact thing in my league, and especially, you know, I really wanted to put an emphasis on it when one year I didn't make the playoffs, but I led the league by like 250 <laughs> points. That's it's the worst. the most devastating thing in the world. <laughs> See, that, that happens sometimes. So, you know what? Got to let it go. But listen, let's talk some Giants football. So, let's catch up on the news first. We'll start with the big one, and that was incumbent starting left tackle Nate Solder opting out of the season. I don't think... This should have come as much of a surprise. I, I was a bit surprised by this just because I didn't really read anything that it was going to happen or anything, but it really shouldn't come as a surprise given the health situation with his son. It's an obvious choice. He should really be sitting out the season. That that goes without saying, but it throws a wrench in a lot of what I was expecting because we talked about it on the Tackle podcast. We expected there to be a kind of three-man competition, really, with Solder, with Cam Fleming. I won't say Cam Meredith for the 17th <laughs> time, with Cam Fleming. 
and with Andrew Thomas. And we didn't really know where it would shake out, who would start at what positions, but we knew that they'd all kind of compete. And now you take that player out of the mix, and it takes away depth at the position in the NFL, which we've long talked about as probably the shallowest position in the NFL. It's nearly impossible to find offensive tackle talent. And I think we saw that when the Giants later that week decided to extend Nick Gates. And we'll talk about that a little more in depth. I don't want to dive into that just yet because there's a lot more to talk about with Gates and what that contract means. But with Solder on that front, you know, obviously he had that atrocious season last year. There's no denying it. But he was playing hurt. He had issues at home with, with, with the health of his son. And like I've always said, in 2018, he had a really, really good stretch of football that no one talks about in that second half when the offense came together and when Jermon Brown joined that offensive line and they had a really good run game and a pretty good pass game. And he was one of the best run blockers on that team in the second half of 2018. There was still the potential for him to be that again. And now that's kind of gone, and there's a little bit of a depth loss there. What do you make of this this solder loss? I think, uh, well, first off, I look at it from last year's perspective on the offensive line depth, and now I look at this year, and I'm like, wow, who would have thought, like, the New York Giants? Like, I look at our depth chart, and I'm like, wow, we actually have some legit options to kind of fill in here. Now, I do think the loss of Solder is going to hurt. And I know a lot of Giants fans look at Nate Solder's play in 2019 and say he was a huge liability. And technically, they're not really wrong, but you're losing a veteran leader who was the starting left tackle for this team for the last two years. And you don't really have a huge desirable player to fill in if it's not rookie Andrew Thomas because I think Cam Fleming is a really good player somebody who has left tackle experience but I don't necessarily know if I want him to be the starting left tackle with Daniel Jones a young quarterback in a new system being that offensive uh, being that offensive signal caller young player inexperienced even though that Cam Fleming is experienced with Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo but I think having Cam Fleming is incredibly important especially when you look at that right tackle and the fact that you brought up Nick Gates too I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that he got this contract right after Nate Solder opts out. Yeah, I think let's dive into that because it's interesting. He gets this contract. It's two years originally reported at around ten million, but it's a really six million with a chance to make ten million, yeah. probably based on incentives, and probably now where do you know, it's interesting. So it comes right after the loss of Solder to as he opts out on the season, but is it because the Giants believe he's just this kind of you know, improving rotational piece for them that could play tackle, or is it because maybe they see him as a potential starting center for them? That's the big question. A lot of Giants fans want to project him as center there. I know Bobby Skinner, friend friend of the show, who does Talking Giants, is a big has been a big proponent of the start Nick Gates at center experiment. Six six, about three ten, doesn't really project to me as a center. But again, Justin Britt has played at that kind of with that kind of frame. But I know you have some reservations about Gates at center. And I kind of think he's best fit as even a swing tackle, which again now they kind of need. Although they do have Pert, but really they don't want to. They don't want to get Pert going right away. They kind of want to develop him. I don't think they want to throw him right into the mix there. So, what are your thoughts and your reservations with Gates potentially being center? Is it really just the frame, or is it something you've seen on tape? It's not even necessarily the frame. It's more what I've seen on tape. And again, it's a very small sample size. He started guard during that Miami Dolphins game, and you know what? He actually had a couple plays, especially when he was pulling in space, where he was really effective. But there were times where he was just stalemated by Christian Wilkins, and I brought it up a couple times on the podcast, and I don't want to hold it against him too bad, but I I would I, I fret a little bit if we go up against if the Giants go up against a team that has a nose tech a zero technique you know a nose, yeah. and that guy's three hundred and thirty pounds and he's really strong at the point of attack. 
the anchor and Nick Gates, even at tackle, concern me. And that mm. guard he definitely popped up. So I, I do have some reservations when it comes to his strength, the point of, act, point of attack. But does that mean that I think he can't do it? No, it doesn't mean that I think he can't do it. But in the truncated offseason that we always talk about, it, it makes me feel like I hope the Giants don't kind of force him into that position and then he ends up getting exposed. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen under Joe Judge, though. I think just signing him, it does add that rotation or that um, rotational versatile offensive lineman that Joe Judge has talked about. He wants versatility and Nick Gates has proven that he can play a guard. Again, it wasn't perfect, but he held up well and he actually made a couple really nice blocks and I think he's a very solid tackle. Somebody who Against wide rushers, I think you saw this a couple times in the Jet game and then in the Eagle game, against wide nine-type rushers who have an angle, who bull rush, they were able to bully him back, but his ability to frame blocks and position himself in a way to not allow himself to be off balance was something that he did really well for someone who's an undrafted free agent. So I like him best at tackle, but I, I do, I honestly feel like he's going to get a go. And here we have, what, walkthroughs come up, I think this week, August 3rd, the walkthroughs start with the strength and conditioning and practices won't really start until next week but hopefully be, if beat writers are going to be allowed in there we'll get some we'll get to see if Shane Lemieux or Nick Gates are taking snaps because I, I do have a, more reservations about the fact that Spencer Pulley is the only true center on this roster right now yeah Nick it's interesting and I really do hope that they do kind of open up these training camp practices to media because I've already spoke with my boss and he, he he's cool with me he wants me in there and I would love to go in there I don't mind I don't mind the idea uh you know I'll wear a mask I'll be safe and I'd love to get you know back in there because I've been in there a couple for the past couple off seasons before this one and got some really good stories from some really good players and you just kind of see and understand things a lot better I think when you're inside the building watching the practices and watching the players interact but as far as Gates goes I kind of am right on board with you this and now here's the thing with Gates yeah he was undrafted free agent and I get it because his athletic profile didn't pop off the page and despite the fact that he does have a really good tackle frame but it was kind of the athleticism doesn't pop off the page yada yada but if you look at it and you watch the film of him at Nebraska he started almost right away there at tackle he put in 20 I think it was like almost 30 really good strong games for them at tackle on a team that's run first using a lot of power and gap concepts that we're going to see and I know he's not really that he doesn't have that functional play strength we want at the pivot the center position personally I'm with you I'm not on the band I'm not on the gate center bandwagon I think the gate center bandwagon kind of started out of this necessity this dire need for fans to find something at center and I get it because guess who else doesn't have play strength and functional play strength at the point of attack and who we're worried about going against the freaking Javon Hargraves of the division and the and the Don Terry Poe's Dallas and and Fletcher Cox, Eagles, and even Gerald McCoy at three. I don't even trust him against these type of players. And that's Spencer Pulley. And then after him, is it John Halapio who hasn't been re-signed and had an awful season-ending injury towards the end of the year and his jersey numbers are already given away? Is it Shane Lemieux in a truncated offseason who's never played the position in his life? And I know there's videos of Shane Lemieux taking center snaps with Derek Carr out in Vegas, but that's not enough, folks. That's not going to do it. That's not going to cut it. We need somebody who understands the mental side of position, let alone has the snapping down and all the technical side of it. So I, if Gates does get a shot, it's more at a, whew, what the hell are they going to do? But I'm on the camp, as far as the center position goes, I'm on the bandwagon. They need, they need to be looking 
actively searching this wire and if a veteran center hits that market or if somebody who hasn't been claimed yet is showing health and hadn't been claimed because there was worries and concerns about his health well then you pick him up you add him to the roster yeah we're not a win now team i get it but it doesn't matter you need to put win now players in front of daniel jones on this offensive line you need to do whatever you can to maximize off this line and that's why i like the resigning of gates because i feel like what you said is true he has good technique at the tackle position. Yeah, the guard games weren't exactly there. Again, at times he was just overwhelmed to the point of attack. But at tackle, you don't see it as much. And you see the good footwork. And you see somebody who can hold up there on an island. And that's what you don't get from all the tackles that have been on this team. The Bobby Hart, the Eric Flowers, these guys that just weren't ever holding up in that spot even remmers at times remmers was we always talk about this. remmers was better than he given than he's given credit for last year but he had tr he had trouble there on an island too and i thought gates was impressive when at tackle so for me i'm thinking gates is going to be a tackle for this team yeah and i i do happen to agree with you but i think what you said is important the necessity part the Giants are looking at starting him at that center position out of pure necessity, which is really a recipe for disaster. But there's not that many names out there that really right. jump out at us either. There's guys like Daniel Kilgore. I think Justin Britt is still Britt's available. Still out there. So there, there's a couple players but who he's are like, injured. yeah, they're like 33, coming off of injury, right. but they're smart players who played in multiple systems who have worked with young quarterbacks before. And that's there's something to be said for that. Yes. So the Giants can look maybe to... Uh, I know Joe Judge came out recently and said that they're not looking to spend the cap room because I know they got a little bit of cap relief with Nate Solder opting out. It wasn't a lot, but they did get some cap relief from that. So maybe they will actually look, even though Joe Judge was like, hey, we're not looking to you know burn through all of our money. But I think they might evaluate through the next week, the next week or two, see if maybe any of these guys can possibly play center or see if Spencer Pulley, you know, took a step forward from last year or something like that, which I'm not too, you know, enthused no. by, by any means, but maybe that's their approach. They have three options that they think are realistic and they can pop, well, maybe four if you include Kyle Murphy. And I think we're really stretching right now, but they have four options and maybe they can see how they do Murphy, and then yeah. uh, possibly go from there. But it's definitely, that's, I, I think if you have a liability at the center position with the young court, I think it's, whew, I think it's a recipe for disaster, Dan. And I'll say this, I want to blame them to an extent, but not really, because it was an incredibly depressed center market. You look at, yeah. like, the, who was the team that had to overpay like crazy for a center? I believe it was, it might have been the Broncos. The Broncos signed a center in free agency, I think it was. I'm now blanking on his name. I think it wasn't Jansen. He was signed a couple years ago, and that was a good one. Um, blanking on who they brought in at center, but they had to pay him big bucks in free agency. Or no, they brought in Glasgow. There was another team that, and, they, and they're going to, I don't think they're going to play him at center. I think they're going to move him to guard. But there was another team who brought in a center and had to pay him a lot of money. And I'm blanking on it now, but the point is, the point I'm trying to make is this was a very depressed market. Do you see it, Nick? Is it, is it Matt Paradis? For... Yeah, well, Paradis signed, but yeah. Yeah, Paradis, you know. He was solid, though. Who was solid, but yeah. injured again. Like, the, 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 the center market's extremely depressed, and, like, it's such an important position. That's why I give the Saints kudos for going up and getting Eric McCoy two years ago and then drafting right away Cesar Ruiz because they know take interior linemen when you can, when you have talent there. But on the flip side, I got to give Dave Gettleman kudos. He doesn't get kudos a lot from anyone. No watches this team i'm gonna give him kudos for re-signing nick gates now because he saw something he liked out of gates instead of waiting he realized that hey based on what we've seen with soul dropping out and us having literally no one at center we might play gates a little more than expected this season and his value might go up let's nip this one in the bud we see a talented guy who's still pretty young really only undrafted for just i don't know why he went undrafted i think he really should have been drafted oh, I said at the time yeah it's it's the spark yeah. score it's yeah. the combine but you know 
It doesn't matter. When you see him on tape, he's a tackle. He can play the position. And I, I don't know if he'll be able to play center. I guess we'll find out. But he may end up playing regardless more snaps than expected now with the situation going on with Solder obviously opting out, with Jalapio not coming back. So there's positions for him to potentially play this season. So I'm, I'm going to give him credit for that. You got to give credit Gettleman for a lot of things, man. I mean, like he's not going to get the credit, and he does do some boneheaded stuff. But also the Marcus Golden move. That was a smart move. Oh, yeah. If Golden signed somewhere, the Giants were going to get him to count against compensatory pick formula for next year. That's something. And now you got him for, what, $4.6 million on a one-year deal? Steel. It's an absolute steal for a player that had 10 sacks last year. We're talking about a player not only had 10 sacks last year, had an injured season the year before, was playing out of position in a scheme when the Cardinals changed over that didn't fit him in a system there, but had 12 and a half the year before. So now that's two double-digit sack seasons with Golden. And we've talked about Golden. A lot of these sacks were scheme-dependent. But guess what? Good news, Giants fans, and this is why I'm super excited about this move, bringing Golden back. He fits this system, too. He's going to be a good fit in this Graham system, okay? He's going to be a really good fit in there. It's perfect for him. It's the exact style of player. You look at some of those Patriots edge guys they've tried to use over the years. Golden fits a lot, and a lot of those edge guys are really hustle maker, hustle playmakers anyway on the, in that style of defense. Not to mention his mentality, too, man. Yeah. Like, Marcus Golden is literally, he puts his heart and soul into the teams that he's playing for, and he even has a good spirit, at least on social media he does, coming back to the Giants after the Giants kind of, if I was, if I was yeah. Yeah, Marcus Golden, him over. I would <laughs> feel kind of pissed off right now. I mean, yeah, you're making $4.6 million or whatever it is, but still, like, you're looking, a lot of people get paid mad money. The guy bet on himself like and signed a $2.5 million contract, then had 10 sacks and had to settle for one year, $4.5 million. I'd be pretty pissed too, but you know what? He showed up to camp, and it's really good news for the Giants. Like, really, really good news. They needed edge depth, and this is their best edge player from last year. There's no I know a lot of his sacks, again, scheme-dependent, were not as high in him as some others, but he was still, you know... He still made plays, and a lot more plays than the Lorenzo Carter made, or even yeah. Shane Zimenez. He's by far and away the best, uh, most proven player at the position. Most proven player at the position. I mean, I would say my upside-wise, I'm thinking the best could be. Um, why am I blanking on his name? The What's kid name? from the kid from no no the kid from Green Bay they brought in. Who I love who Kyle Fackro. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking Kyle Fackro can do it. But as far as what's been proven on this team, yeah, he's the guy coming back that's definitely the most proven edge player. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting to see for sure, man. And we also have some players that are uh, opting out of the season and get put on the COVID list as well. David Sills got put on the COVID yeah. list. Damari Scott is another player who opted out of the season. And then the Giants just went out, cut a couple players. Uh, Nate Wozniak ended up retiring, if that's news to anybody. But uh, John Hillman won't be carrying the ball, Dan. I know you're very upset about that. Oh, my God, John Hillman. That was... What a disaster going into that Patriots game with him as the start. Like, what was what happened there, Giants? Like, you need to you need to be better than that. Oh, that you can't happen again. Need to be better, and I understand you had Saquon get hurt two weeks before Gallman. that, and then you had Gallman go down. But there you, needs to be more depth at the position. Yeah, that's trusting an undrafted rookie free agent yeah. from Rutgers with a rookie quarterback going into the most oh dangerous God. place in the NFL with the best defense in the NFL. Unbelievable. In other news, by the way. Aldrich Roses released. Generational leg, as once described by Jeff Eagles. I've been on record on this podcast saying I wanted them to bring him back even after a disastrous season because I bet on leg talent. They made the mistake of trading Brandon McManus too early in his career. Unbelievable leg talent has gone on to be a great kicker with the with the Broncos. Made the mistake of moving on from Matt Bryant too early in his career. Unbelievable leg talent went on to be one of the best kickers over the last decade with the Falcons. So I'm a little worried that might happen with Roses, but clearly he's a mental case. I mean, there's something going on there because yeah. he lost his composure last year. There was weird vibes going on with him all offseason. All season, I mean. It wasn't just this offseason when this incident happened. So they cut ties. They signed Chandler Catanzaro. 
I'm not thrilled with that signing whatsoever. I think he's going to be a liability. I'm hoping and holding out hope that they sign Graham Gano, who was just recently released by the Panthers based on the fact that he was making a lot of money and Joey Sly came in and did really well. So their trash can be our treasure. Graham Gano has history with Thompson Gahey, the special teams coordinator. He's a proven kicker. He's the guy who nailed that 63-yarder to beat the Giants two years ago. That was a disaster of a loss. So I'm still holding out hope they sign Graham Gano. That's a big priority for me. I really want them to bring in Gano. And Dave Gettleman, he didn't draft Gano or bring him in, but he did re-sign him. There's a relationship there when uh, Dave Gettleman was the general manager down there in Carolina. That's definitely something that I've I wrote about it on Big Blue View. It's something that I also would really like the team to investigate because, I mean, Chandler Canizero didn't even play football last year. Neither did Graham Gano, but that's because of injury. So like you said, uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And Alger Rosas, I mean, you know, again, big leg, but you can't do the things that he did and expect there not to be repercussions. I don't know what it is about the Giants kickers in the last couple of years just making really terrible mistakes off the field, man. Well, I, I don't <laughs> want to get into Josh Brown. I have some strong takes on the Josh Brown situation. To me, that was Mara's worst stand. I know there's a lot of people who blame Mara for a lot of different things. I thought that was his worst stand because there's – a lot out there that goes to show that he knew what was going on with Brown behind closed doors with his wife. And there was an incident at the Pro Bowl when Brown went down to the Pro Bowl and he badens, you know, for a kicker, for a freaking kicker. I mean, Josh Brown was a somewhat talented, pretty talented kicker, but they, you know, they've had McManus, Brown, Matt Bryan, even Roses to some extent, a lot of talent there at the position. Like, you don't, you don't make that mistake of letting that go, in my opinion. That was one of the, the bigger mistakes. Um, you know, some people talk about Odell, whatever. That, to me, is more on Odell, and I'll stand by that. But I didn't like the Brown situation, but we don't have to go into that. Let's talk about another player, actually, though, who kind of had a au- tricky offseason. And as we transition to our discussion now about the secondary, and that's DeAndre Baker, who's been placed on the commissioner's exempt list, asked to not show up to training camp. Obviously, there was all that hope that things were going to be all right with Baker because his lawyer was firing away in the New York Post with, with Giants beat writers in the Post saying, you know, it's going to be all right. It's a, it's a bogus case, blah, 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 blah. But as more facts starts to unravel, that became less and less sure. And now he's not at camp. And now he's not with the team. And to me, this is a big problem, Nick, because I look at this depth chart and I know Baker had a bad rookie season. But as you said... When you studied him on tape, and I saw it too, he did an excellent job of staying in phase. He just seemed lost within James Betcher's system. That, to me, screams someone who could have positive regression next season. That, to me, screams someone who could make a jump the next season as he moves, by the way, to a Patrick, um, I'm sorry, not, yeah, to a Patrick Graham defense that is going to be very man coverage heavy. What he does best, what he did best at Georgia, man coverage, it fit really well coming into his second season he was training hard he was moving into a system that better fits him they needed him on the boundary he was gonna have Bradbury on the other side locking down on an island he was gonna have more safety help everything seemed to be working in place I wrote him up in my early March column as one of my three biggest three players who I think have the best chance to break out this season with the change in system and now commissioner exemplist not at camp Seems unlikely to me that he's going to play this season, and that leaves us with a depth chart at boundary that is James Bradbury locked in. We know that. They're going to play a lot of one-by-three sets with him on the one side. That's fine. We like that. That's good. But then Sam Beal, who didn't take the jump last year and has had injuries that kind of held him back, and I want to talk to you more about Beal and what you've seen on tape with Beal. 
And we're going to also behind him have maybe Corey Ballantyne, who had to kind of transition his rookie season, play a little slot, which is not good for him. Didn't fit his skill set. And after those guys, I mean, you're looking at Montre Hartridge, who had some time with the Dolphins, maybe has some system. I mean, Chris Williamson might be able to play for Minnesota. He's kind of played safety and corner. This is a six-round pick. It's really barren behind those two. Maybe, you know, I mean, maybe, and we're going to talk about this player because I have three positions I think this player could play. Julian Love. I don't know what's going to happen with Love this season. So we have, as we talk about the second, I want to talk about Love. But are you as worried as I am at the boundary cornerback position? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think the default player is going to be Sam Beal, who will get the first shot. But Sam Beal has not proven the fact that he can play at a consistent level in the NFL or, even more importantly, that he can stay on the field. He's always injured. I mean, I remember when he's like 177 pounds. He's like six foot one. He has decent length, but he's 177 pounds. That's pretty frail. So hopefully he bulked up a little bit and he can avoid getting injured. But I think there's going to be a real competition between him and Corey Ballantyne. Because let's evaluate Ballantyne for a second. Somebody coming out of a small school, Washburn, went down to the Senior Bowl, was able to prove himself down there. And then the night he was drafted, he ends up uh, getting shot in the leg. And he misses most of training camp and misses most of those off-season And let's not bury the lead, too. His best friend, he had to watch yeah. die in front of him. Like, that yeah. is traumatizing as, as fuck. Like, what yeah. we, like, excuse my language. I know we're family-friendly podcasts, but... I think it was well warranted in this regard. Like that's a serious. Like I don't. I can't relate to that. And exactly. So the the mental the mental part of that, and then he has to go right into the NFL, pick up playbooks, and get into the routine of the NFL. And he's already behind the eight ball because he missed all that time. And then he gets forced into a position in the slot because the Giants' slot position was such a liability last year. The Grant Haley could not cover anything from the intermediate to the vertical game. That's not his natural position. At Washburn, he played boundary. That's what he's supposed to do. He has elite spark scores. His broad jump and his vertical jump are elite level, like 97th percentile kind of level. This guy can play boundary. He's long enough. He's like five foot eleven, so he's not like 6'2 or anything like that, but he has the arm length, and he has the athletic ability. I think uh, things that he struggled with last year in coverage was decisiveness. I feel like he would see the double move, and he would try to stay patient, and then once the guy cut, and once the guy was basically the wide receiver was fully turned, that's when he reacted. So it was a decisiveness, more of a mental issue. I don't think it's an athletic issue with him. He's had some really athletic plays on tape. So I think Ballantyne's really interested, and he can legitimately win that job. With Beal, I haven't seen as much of that. I think Beal had a really good game. I want to say it was against Miami. He had the safety, came up and run support, showed some physicality in that level. But he's somebody else who I haven't seen him stay in phase as well as I would have liked to when it came to him playing on the boundary. I think Ballantyne could be the answer there. I think Beal's going to get the first shot because he has the draft pedigree, but I would not rule out Ballantyne. And I wish he had a full offseason this year. He doesn't, obviously, because of everything that's going on, but at least he's going to be more comfortable and up to speed given the fact that he's not dealing with the kind of terrible things that he had to deal with last offseason. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, 
your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, I mean, I love the call. Get me, get, get me on board with Team Valentine over Team Beal for me because, yeah, Beal did an okay job, I thought, at Central Mish with mirror and match and he again looked good but again this is kind of like the valentine situation he wasn't playing at the highest level of competition obviously it wasn't washburn but you know he's not matching up against nfl receivers week in and week out so give me team valentine here who had to deal with changing positions mid rookie season after going through what he went through in the offseason like you said super athletic and held his own against some of the best receivers in college football at the senior bowl the best of the best seniors so I'm going to give the edge there, but one more guy we should talk about kind of, you know, above the, the you know, the, the Montre Hartridge and those type of guys is rookie Darnay Holmes. We think about him as a slot guy because he's obviously five foot nine, but this guy is a guy who was a five-star recruit, the number one cornerback recruit, and has played boundary for his entire collegiate career and has played it really well. Now, there are some potential major red flags. In addition to the height, it's the arm length. Under sub-30-inch arm length, you don't see that on the boundary, but... Having said that, this is a guy who's done really well on the boundary in every level, high school and in the Pac-12. Do you think there's a chance he can kind of work? We all expect him to project as like this potential starter in nickel, but is there a chance that he could actually be on the flip side of of, uh, James Bradbury as as the number two? I mean, I wouldn't fully rule it out just because there's no clear cut, but he would be a distant, maybe even fourth behind somebody else we're going to talk about a little bit later, but I wouldn't fully rule it out because he played Pac-12 football, he played boundary at Pac-12 football, was the number one cornerback for UCLA for two years out there. And a lot of people point at his height. I think his height, it brings concern, but more so like you alluded to, it's the arm line. Because you have guys like Brent Grimes who were smaller than him, but he played boundary. Ultron Werner played boundary. There's a lot of uh, smaller cornerbacks. kind of Kareem Jackson is a smaller cornerback. Now he's transitioned to safety, who made a living playing boundary. But all their arm length, and I've checked this before because I wrote an article about it for Sports Illustrated, they were much longer than Darnay Holmes, who was at 29 and a half. Now, that is, that's pretty bad. Now, I could imagine you trying to line up against, say, Calvin Ridley if, if they were able to put James Bradbury against Julio Jones. It, it just it, it doesn't really give you a warm and fuzzy. And that's Calvin Ridley's like six foot one. So <laughs> could you imagine going up against someone like Julio, who's six foot four, or Kenny Galladay? Yeah. You can just go through the receivers. So that's definitely right. something that makes me hesitant. I do think he's going to be more... Uh, fit it. Uh, he's definitely more fit for the nickel position, but I wouldn't fully rule it out just because the Giants didn't plan to lose DeAndre Baker this offseason. They went in saying, we have DeAndre Baker, we signed James Bradbury, that's great, and now we have a lot of depth at the secondary. And now you, It's not because of injury, it's because of a lot of things off the field, and now he's gone. So now you have to choose between Beal, someone who's proven not to be able to be on the field, Ballantyne, who hasn't had a regular offseason yet, but hopefully he can put it all together now, and... There's another player we're going to talk about here in a bit. And then you have Darnay Holmes, who did it in a Power 5 conference. 
Yeah, I mean, let's talk. Let's let's get into that now because I think the story, the general theme of this Giants secondary as they move forward, Patrick Graham, is versatility, and we expect Graham to use a ton of these three safety looks where maybe they don't need an extra corner on the field and things are going to look a little different. And, like, obviously it's not going to be every snap when they're in nickel, but maybe more so than other teams. But with that in mind, players are going to be used in versatile roles as well, and not only, you know, at that edge position and that linebacker at the second level, also in the secondary. So how about a guy like Julian Love entering his second year, a guy who some projected would be a slot last year, but the Giants instead tried to kind of move him to safety, and he played really well at safety, and I'm curious if he kind of plays more nickel safety role. I don't know, but at the same time, you look back at his Notre Dame tape, and this is the guy who's playing the boundary. And he was playing the boundary really well. And I guess maybe the Giants felt like they had so much depth there last year after drafting Baker and with Beal returning and Janoris Jenkins obviously in the mix that they felt like they had the flexibility to try to move him to safety. I mean, at the time, really, you looked at that safety position and it was a 38-year-old Antoine Bethea. Antoine Bethea and they're looking at, looking at that probably being like, we need a backup plan. We need to start moving someone in that direction. And Love has a skill set we believe can translate there. But do they flip him back now? Do they say okay, Baker's out of the mix. We need another boundary. Do they say, I don't know about Darnay Holmes right now at the, in the slot. Do we try to move him to the slot? I don't really know what's going to happen with Love. My question to you is, is there a reason beyond that they just wanted to put more depth and have a backup plan at safety that they kind of moved him off the boundary last year? Or do you think he can kind of work back toward playing the boundary and competing to, to be in maybe the number two this year? Let, let's think about it, man. James Betcher isn't there anymore. That coaching staff is the coaching staff that obviously moved him away from being a boundary corner. Now, Gettleman, you know, provides the groceries, but the coaching staff is going to be the ones that are cooking. So Patrick Graham can look at him and be like, I can really utilize, I'm sure he's watched this tape from Notre Dame, I can really utilize his skill set on the boundary and be like, yeah, like we talked about the three safety look, I think it's going to be a big part of this defense, but we shouldn't totally rule out the fact that there was this anomaly, like DeAndre Baker getting into trouble, now he's gone that maybe you take Julian Love and then you adapt your safeties in another way. You take Julian Love and you move him to the boundary. And that is something that it might be on the table. I don't really hear a lot of people in Giants Nation talking about it, but I do think it is something that is going to be on the table. I think a lot of things are going to be on the table, and I do think it's going to be a real competition here. And I know Joe Judge does the whole coach speak, oh, we're going to be competing. But when it comes to these these pieces where there's not a lot of clarity, it's going to be a true competition. And I guarantee Julian Love is going to see reps in practice at safety, and he's definitely going to see reps at boundary corner. And if he is significantly better than the other options, I don't see why they wouldn't. And then they would have to adapt their other plans to that. And maybe even someone like Montre Hardage, who knows Patrick Graham's right. system, would make the team be a core special teams player, and then maybe figure to be in that three safety rotation role. And then you utilize Love, and then Ballantyne and Beal, they can duke it out for the backup boundary role. It's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot to think about with the secondary. There's so many moving pieces. There's players who might fit in different roles. Like, let's talk about the slot right now because Grant Haley's still in the mix. We don't want him starting. We both believe the Corey Valentine in the slot uh, experiment was a disaster. We hope that doesn't continue. But then, you know, I've talked all season. I think Darnay Holmes will be the day one slot corner there. I just don't I see the transition being smooth. But Love could be in the mix there too. Like, easily could be in the mix there. And how about... Um, Drayvon Askew Henry from the XFL. Like this is a guy who who showed a little bit. I know I know you're hesitant on him. I, I, why, why are you hesitant on him? 
I, I'm not necessarily hesitant on. I, I'm not sure if he's going to make the team. Even make but, the roster. Yeah. But again, he probably doesn't have much. If they do it. view Love on the boundary, you bring him in. That's somebody who is a hybrid defender, right. has a little bit of cornerback experience, has safety experience, physical. He's they, a physical player. He likes to throw the yellow flag back at the refs. I mean, he has a lot, a lot of things going on. He's got Dallas Cowboy written all over him too. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. The, the secondary is really a, a lot of young pieces. They've been drafted over the past one to three drafts um and then and then a big free agent signing and we'll see what happens and how it shakes out but i have some guarded optimism but i'm I'm definitely a little worried about the depth at boundary and you know if my expert my expectation for homes doesn't happen right away with him being this like pretty much i think he's going to be an average to above average slot corner right away off the bat that's just how i feel watching him I'm, i know i'm a little higher than him on you because i kind of throw out the 2019 tape which wasn't as good because he was playing through that high ankle sprain but i know you don't want to throw it out which i get and he's never played the position so that's obviously concerned but he's an I athlete just, though I, he's an athlete and i just i just love his skill set i just think he was a freaking steal I, I i'm gonna you know i'm gonna i'm gonna die on that hill i i love the pick i remember after the draft when i was grading the giants i had him as like a or a minus and my either my highest or it's probably my second highest grade after mckinney obviously and people on twitter are like really Holmes? like this was i thought this was the worst pick and i was like not me not me i don't i'm the opposite of that yeah i was a little bit lower on him because of the 2019 tape but i'm not going to dispute the fact that he's an athlete and i do think he can transition well to the slot my one thing with darnay holmes and i think the giants are going to play matchups it's what you do in football a lot i think darnay holmes is going to play that slot position against Teams that utilize smaller slot yeah, like an receivers. Edelman, Edelman right, right. Uh, if they put Terry McLaurin sure. in the slot, which is something that he did well for the Washington football team. Mm-hmm. and But I think when you play big slot teams, teams that use Zach Ertz in the slot, I right. think you're going to see a lot more Julian Love, Xavier McKinney, McKinney dropping yeah. down into that slot, especially when they run a lot of man coverage. I think Jabril Peppers is going to be the dollar kind of linebacker, possibly, uh, you know, and then with their nickel, he's going to be that alley defender coming down from a two high kind of set or, you know, a one high offset, uh, like cover one robber look pre-snap. So I, I think they're going to, there's not going to be a one true, this is what Darnay Holmes is. He's the slot uh, defender. But they're going to just facilitate and rotate these guys in and out depending on the matchup. I think it's going to be a really a hectic time on the sideline for Patrick Graham and that defense yeah. when they look over and they're like, well, what's the package? What's the personnel? What's the personnel? It's 11 personnel. It's 11 personnel. Is it a big? Oh, it's a big. It's a big. Put in Xavier McKinney. You know, something right. along those lines. No, actually, I don't see McKinney coming off the field that often in general. Yeah, I think he's going to play so many roles in this defense. Let's let's transition there. Let's talk about the safeties, Nick, because as I scope this entire roster as we've done this through our series, I think I'm confident in saying Giants fans should be maybe more excited about the safety position right now than almost any position on this roster. They have two super young, super talented players there in Jabril Peppers and Xavier McKinney. I know we didn't get to see the full potential of preppers due to the injuries last season but if you watch the games he was healthy for in a terrible defensive system that was not working that the secondary was not on the same page for that he was playing in for the first time he was awesome i thought he was super physical around the line of scrimmage he made a a, a few just unbelievable plays in coverage as well you look at that redskins game where he made that pick six and he jumped that route and he is a player who i think can really improve as he moves forward with this defense and then you have xavier mckinney who i think is bang plug and play first round talent that they nailed in the second round not only first round talent but someone who literally perfectly fits what they're going to do on defense i mean this is the 
the, the safety chess piece. He played 30, you know, a third of his snaps in the box, a third of his snaps in the slot, a third of his snaps in the deep half in a Nick Saban defense, which obviously draws some obvious similarities to what the Giants are going to hopefully do. He is smart up there. He was the quarterback of that defense. So I'm super excited about McKinney. I'm super excited about Peppers. I'm way not off the Peppers bandwagon. I've liked Peppers since the trade because he had a really, really good season for the Browns that people didn't talk about the year before they traded for him after after they stopped using him 30 yards off the ball. And yeah, he got injured last year. But before the injury, man, he was their best alley defender. He was physical around the line of scrimmage. He was way better. Uh, covering slots than Landon Collins ever was and obviously he's not a lead at that but he was way better and he made some plays in coverage as well so I'm big on this safety tandem and I don't think they're going to come off the field much and I think they're going to be a big reason if the Giants defense takes a step forward it fits perfectly into the mismatching uh trying to match with the offensive the versatile offensive players that we're seeing in the uh, current NFL structure and they just keep bringing in you know, bigger receivers who are faster, tight ends who are faster. You got guys like George Kittle. You got all these incredible athletes. You need to be able to cover them, and your base personnel can become nickel personnel, which is something that we see a lot in the NFL. You're like seventy yeah. percent of the snaps are nickel. When you could do that and not, and it doesn't impede your run defense. When you have players who can play the run, like McKinney, like Love, who definitely showed an ability to play the run. I mean, that guy was a boundary corner in college, like we said. He played the run in the box at an exceptional level and did a really good job taking angles to the ball carrier. And then Peppers, who was physical at the point of attack, that's going to really assist your your defense in, in, in matching up. And it's going to really just allow you to do so many different things from a coverage standpoint while not leaving yourself vulnerable to the run. Yeah, without a doubt. And how about, you know, here's a player who I'm intrigued by. I want to see what you think because he obviously played limited snaps, but he was somebody who I wrote up a bunch when I was with 24-7 Sports. He was just one of my favorite stories. Sean Chandler, undrafted guy at a temple, super tough guy, crazy background story, you know, coming up homeless and just making his way to the NFL. I feel like I've seen some decent spurts of him when he's gotten a chance with the Giants. Do you think they have anything there? Do you think he's a guy who can factor in a little bit as they use these defensive looks with more nickel and not only more nickel, but more safeties on the field? I think if injuries happen, he'll find his way onto the defense, but I think he's going to make the initial roster because he's an underrated special special teams ace. And I'm excited about this, and it's not sexy. (laughs) Ebner? No, no, Nate Ebner, yes, but <laughs> you have Cody Core. This special have, teams is going to be yes. loaded. With yeah. McGay, like, yeah. we're the guy who's literally produced top seven special teams three years in a row, and Thomas McGay, one of, arguably one of the best coaches the Giants have, just based on the fact that he literally is one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL. I don't know if you can say that about any other position coach they have right now. And they got talent and coaching there. This is going to be a great special teams unit. It has been now for two years running. Yes, and I know the Giants lost Antonio Hamilton, and that doesn't seem like a big yeah, loss, but Antonio is. Hamilton was probably the second best special teamer on the Giants last mm-hmm. year behind Cody Core. So I, you know, I always say, man, you got to try to pay attention to the, the movements of those non-sexy pieces of your roster, like special teams, because that's field position, and that's a gigantic that can literally win you win or lose you. Yeah, games. you want to know a team who's, a team who's paid close attention to special teams for the last. Decade as they run through the NFL, winning game after game. New England Patriots, yes. who guess who was run by for some of those years? Joe Judge, yes. running that special team. So. Think, think about the Patriots. How many roster spots did they dedicate strictly to crazy. special teams? Brandon Bolden, Nate Ebner, yep. who's now a Giant, and obviously Matthew Slater. He's a wide receiver, but they're not using yeah, him. Wide not receiver. Using Bolden, they, Bolden <laughs> got a couple of the dumb goal line. Like he's he would kill fantasy owners when he would steal his touchdown or two. I guess that was Belichick giving him a nod here. You bust your ass on special teams. 
they'll give you a touchdown or two. But Slater, Slater wasn't getting you know on the field much on offense. So when you look at the specials here, you got Core, you got Sean Chandler, and that's why he's going to make the team. And if and you got Evan, obviously, yeah. So if big he, signing for the special teams, Nate Evan. If, if there's a injury to one of the big three safeties, I think Sean Chandler could get a spot. Now I don't really, I can't really speak too much to his skill set. I haven't watched as much film as I probably should have on Sean Chandler, but I do feel like he is somebody who can definitely work into the rotation if injuries. And do when happen. you say big three safeties, you're including Love in that. You're protecting am, him yeah. there. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. I think gun to my head, I'm putting Love as one of these big safeties for this year. Yeah, I mean, I like like we said, he can definitely end up on the boundary, and I won't, I wouldn't put it past. And him. he can match up in the slot too. And he can match up in the slot. There's a lot. I include slot as the as safety, safety. Okay. At, at this point because safety is like everyone thinks safety. You think of it like oh, a single high or you're a box safety. I think safety is much more diverse than that. Yeah, and it allows you, like I said before, to really utilize your personnel in a unique way to where you're not going to be vulnerable if these safeties can fit the run and if they can be forced defenders and if they can do all these things to kind of uh, maintain the continuity of the defense. I mean, we just saw a quote-unquote, and I hate saying this because he's not this, but people pigeonhole him as just a box safety, get traded for two first-round picks, a third, and... And the and uh, Bradley McDougal and Bradley McDougal in with Jamal Adams and yeah box safety I get it but he, he's going to allow Seattle to do so many different things now I think it was I would not have made that trade but there's no doubt that adding him allows them to do so many different things and they're going to try to really win in the window right now and let's be honest Seattle can't draft first round anyway yeah they gave up a lot and like normally I hate that it was just, but like. Jamal Adams is so much more than a box safety. Like, so, so much more. He's the reason... The Jets' defense should have been one of the worst in the NFL last year. If you look at the talent on that defense, they didn't have a single decent edge. They had a media, middling interior line with a lot of high picks, but not a lot of production. And then they had pretty much nothing at corner. Just absolutely some of the worst corners starting in the NFL. But they had two safeties who played well, and mostly just Jamal Adams taking over games at times. He's messed with Daniel Jones really bad in that game. And I know Jones ended up throwing for 300-plus in that game. He, he really turned it on. But the, Adams made the biggest play in that game when he took the ball away from him. And that and that and that's the reason the Giants lost that game. And he literally did it twice. It's just yeah. the one time Saquon was Luckily, able to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, again, that, and that kind of, you know, safety, this the position right now, it's so important. And I'm so happy the Giants have talent there. Yeah, it's, it's vital to the current NFL. I mean, look what adding a safety line, and this is not to go back to Jamal Adams' point, but the Kansas City Chiefs added Tyron Matthew, and that literally changed oh, the, yeah. the entire defense. And that defense already had talented players like Chris Jones on the front line and, and players like that, but you add Tyron Matthew, and it just kind of changed the defense. And now with the Giants, I mean, I thought I think adding Xavier McKinney, obviously he's not Tyron Matthew because he's a rookie, but he can have that impact in the future. He is that kind of player. He is cerebral. He is physical. He can play man coverage. Yes. And it's, it's something that definitely – uh, we could look back on in like four years and be like, "Wow, dude, we have to re-sign this guy. This is this this is it right here." But sadly, he doesn't. He's not going to have that fifth-year option, right? But taking that a step further, we talked about how football is now such a matchups game, and we talked about how on the last podcast we talked about how NFL coaches have at this point understood that the easiest way to move the ball via the air is via the slot. It's the easiest, most efficient pass. And with that said, the Giants now for the first time in years. Years, Nick, because I can't remember, have different players 
with strong talent for, uh, with a lot of talent and different skill sets that can match up against different players in the slot you got a big slot well maybe you throw McKinney there or maybe you throw Julian Love there you got a skinny slot maybe you, th- you throw in Darnay Holmes for the Edelman types and you know what Peppers can match up against some of these slots you have four different players who might be able to match up depending on who they put in the slot for those easy completions and that's going to give them a much better chance the Giants have been burned in the slots and seams for years and they finally have talent now the talent needs to be realized obviously that has to work with the coaching with the system and everyone has to get on the same page but they finally actually have a lot of talent to defend the slot and defend the seams and they haven't had that in a long time and that's been a big achilles heel for this defense for a long time so i'm finally starting to feel some optimism about them potentially taking that away from opposing offenses not to mention just this defensive system is much more simplified and i don't mean simplified thank god in a, in a negative light no in a that. positive light positive. I mean, come on betcher like i loved betcher coming in but a lot of that probably had to do with the fact they had a lot of talent in arizona not even just that Let's and, be honest. no definitely that actually but not even just that <laughs> I also think, and I also think Betcher's system would have worked in the last CBA when yeah. players could practice yeah, yeah. a lot more. So I do think it is a cerebral things, and they're not getting as much reps, and maybe the players aren't analyzing their playbooks as much in their off time. I mean, we we heard about certain players on the Giants falling asleep in meeting rooms, and in the the new CBA that the that the NFL signed, like every second, every minute needs to be so valuable and how many times did you talk about when we did our tape review nick how many times did you specifically mention that when he was at when it was flashing when it was at its best betcher's defense was awesome he completely fooled offense coordinators wanted you know and that's a, a handful of plays yeah over the course of a season where he's at the peak he's fooling defensive but guess what that's a handful of plays yeah. and a handful of plays is not as good it's not going to help you win football games yeah it's flashy it looks good you look at it on tape and you're like that was creative Betcher figured it out. Betcher fooled him. But then the next play, it's third and 17, and he's giving up a 57-yard bomb, Matthew Stafford, whoever was the slot vert, and it's just like the, the, the safety's nowhere near the ball. And it's like, what happened here? And that's with a 38-year-old like Antoine Buffet. You're so, right. And, and the re- the there's, a reason, there's a reason he had to, because he was smart, and he knew the system. He, you, yes. he was in the system in Arizona. And now it's a totally different, more simplified system, and you have young guys who are going to be able to execute this. And I do want to throw in another name who might make this team – I'm not 100% confident on it, but I do think Chris Williamson could, could yeah. figure to be I'm a slot defender here. Because he's Long. somebody, yeah, he's a longer kind of player, but he was, went to the University of Florida, suffered an injury, and just it never panned out. Didn't play much. Or I didn't think he played at all his freshman or his sophomore year, and he ended up transferring to to uh, Minnesota and was a Golden Gopher. And his first year with the Gophers, with P.J. Fleck rowing the boat up there in Minnesota, he was a boundary corner. And it wasn't that great, but then... Last year, he moved into the slot and played a much more dominant role in the slot, and he was a part of that that team that was undefeated for how long? And he was a pretty good defender, and he didn't really get a lot of love. He didn't get invited down to the Senior Bowl, and you didn't really hear much about him, but he does have a little bit of versatility, and he was able to he, he was able to show that he could play in the slot in at least one year in the Big Ten. Now, maybe he can build on that. So you can bring him in, and hopefully in these practices, he can prove that he can build on it and maybe earn a roster spot. But if it is, it's going to be one of the last roster spots. Nick, I don't want to say your thunder. You provided some excellent a- analysis on, on Williams. I don't want to go too far off track. But it absolutely pains me the way you talk about the Minnesota Gophers, the Golden Gophers. Row your boat. Row Undefeated the boat. season. Undefeated season came to an end when Wisconsin whooped their butts <laughs> in Minnesota at home. You were at home. Are you? Do I want to call you in a you? Because we just – are you? Are you <laughs> no. want to be associated with this crap? team like good luck and, and i apologize joe fine love you my, my my cousin my cousin rachel's husband but guess what 
Safety school, Minnesota Gophers. Get the hell out of here with this crap. Hey, all, you got all, nothing on the Badgers. I, you know, that, it's like a little man syndrome or something, man. Why? Yeah, why? It really, like, it really is like a little man syndrome. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like, you could talk good about the Gophers. Nah, and I can't also talk good talk, about the Gophers. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Gophers fan, just for everybody. Uh, I used to uh, cover the team for right. one season. and uh, But look out for Rashad Bateman this year, though, because that, oh, that, yeah. that kid can ball. He's going to be yeah. a first-round pick. I, think, I would imagine. There's right. a lot of receivers over this so year that are going to be. It's another stacked receiver class. It is. And that's another reason why I look at what Gettleman did, and I was like, I it's smart to get Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor, Derek Dillon, and undrafted free agency. Don't burn any of your assets and utilize it. I think he did that well. Next year, they're gonna they're gonna have a shot in that second and third and, round and, range. And gets a ton of talent. Bateman might not even be a top five guy. Like, and that's like the insane that's how thing. Insane the yeah. class is. Yeah. The receiver class. This was supposed to be in a historic receiver class, and it very well might be. And next year's actually could be even better, which is crazy to think about. You got about. those Alabama guys. You got Jamar Two Chase. Guys, yeah. You got one in Purdue, I think. One oh, I love Forest. the kid in Purdue. Yeah. What's his name? The- Rondell Moore, yeah. Rondell Moore, oh my God. With Daniel Jones, I could see a fit there. <laughs> Woo! I would love Daniel Jones to throw the ball to him. Get it in the – get it? Because I still think, you know, as we move forward, we, we talk all about this, you know, vertical-based offense with Jason Garrett, Daniel Jones. It's still going to – it's going to have to be a lot of quick game stuff because that's what Daniel Jones is best at. And you cannot – you have to fit your system around your quarterback skill set. So I got to put a guy like Rondell Ron, Rondo Moore there. Whew. There's a, yeah, the next year's receiver. We'll we'll be covering it yeah, ex- extensively. Let's hope we have a college football season to watch some. Yeah, 2020. Let's hope we have an NFL season for God's sake. Yeah, for sure, man. But yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm excited about the secondary. I think the defensive line to me is is the best unit as yeah. a whole. Uh, talk about the big defensive line and not including the edge guys. But when you factor in the flash factor. You look at the safeties and you're like, you know what? That they're. Uh, I'm really glad to have these guys because yeah. deep of the linemen aren't as sexy, but man, they are necessary. And you know, you know me, man. I love me some Dalvin Thompson, yeah. dude. Yep. All right, Nick. Anything else in the secondary? You want to wrap up? No, I think we're good. I think we covered a lot of good things. I'm just looking forward to these practices. That yeah, should me be happening too. I can't in the next wait to practice. See practice so we can get depth chart moving. We can start to talk to you about in depth stuff about the actual game of football. We'll get there, folks. Don't worry. Stick with us on the Big Blue Banter podcast. One final shout-out. Remember, if you can, do us a favor. Log on to iTunes. Make sure every podcast you listen to, you hit the download button, subscribe. Give us a review and a rating. We would really appreciate it. And also, if you can, check out our Instagram page. Uh, it's Big Blue ba- It's NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. And this is an excellent page. It's going to keep you up to date with all of our podcasts, clips from the show, any news breaking. It's just a great thing to have on your feed. Nick, you want to throw anything out? I know you got something new in the the works. Yeah, so everybody, look up on podcasts if you want some supplemental podcast information. It's not going to be about the Giants, but I'm a big fantasy football guy. And I also obviously follow the NFL. So for Big Blue View, just type in Big Blue View in your podcast. It's the site that most of you guys know is the SB Nation affiliate giant site. If you type in Big Blue View, there's a podcast stream, and I'm going to be having two shows, one episode per week. Uh, the NFL show is going to be called the Falato One Football, and that is going to drop every Monday. And then every Friday, it's going to be Falato's Fantasy Corner, where I'll be diving into fantasy football, and it's been a huge passion of mine. So I'm really excited about this opportunity that SB Nation has extended to me. So if you guys could go over there, download, listen, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Just me uh, pontificating my football passion to all of you lovely people. So thank you. All right, everyone. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.